Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of block of French switch conversation on just <laughs> seems like one of them days I'm getting tongue tied. I don't know what it is. And I know I got up early this morning, but we're ready for this show front porch conversation on justice. And we're happy to have today with us our guest April McCullough. And April <laughs> is going to talk to us today. We're going to have a great conversation anyway, April, about some things yes. that I know are dear to your heart. And uh, you're also close to, to mine, and, and and also for those who are out there listening, uh, and if you would like to join in the conversation, feel free to dial 929-477-3074, 929-477-3074. With that being said, April, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Charles. Well, at any time, the conversations that we've had in the past have helped me to grow somewhat. So um, I think it's time that we need to share some of that insight. uh, Sure. uh, With the the world, to be frank about it, with the world. Uh, (laughs) The whole world. Yeah, the whole world. (laughs) All all three of us. So anyway, uh, (laughs) um, Tell us something about April. Yeah, well, I live in Tampa, Florida now. Charles, you and I got to know each other um, probably starting last year, right, up in Virginia Beach when I was the outreach director at Grace Bible Church looking for um, a partnership, and you were with Jobs for Life, so that's how we got connected. And uh, my family recently relocated back here in Tampa, and uh, my husband's a pastor serving at a church in the area, and um, I've got three kids, and I am figuring out what's next for me in this season of life in my transition right now. What, so what that's you to, kind of me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this season of life, okay, we'll, we'll look at that for a moment. What, how did you, what was that transitioning period that brought you to the point where uh, you are now in terms of justice issues? Yeah, I think um, um on and off my whole life, I've, um, I've been oriented towards people who are hurting physically. Um, I studied international affairs um, in college and Latin American studies and started kind of peeling back the layers of, um, of the history and impact of colonialism and um, envisioned myself going into human rights work and 
you know how life takes you on journeys and there are detours and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, I would say the past 12, 13 years, I've tried to find my way back, quote, end quote, um, to work that helps, that helps people. Um, and I've been fortunate to be able to do it from within the church, um, either as a volunteer um, and then the last three years when I was in Virginia um, on staff as outreach director. Um, but the more that I got involved um, with, say, a homeless outreach or um, the first time I was in Tampa, I was getting involved with um, some organizations that combat uh, sex trafficking in our area. And so the more, the more you kind of get under the hood and you listen to people's stories, um, you start to see a common thread in that, um, uh, how do you say it? You just begin to ask why. You just begin to ask why. So why is, why is it that this person, because they were born um, in this part of town, uh, in this situation, uh, why are they hungry? Why are they, why are they more, why is this girl more vulnerable to, uh, being recruited by a pimp and um, so you just start to ask questions of why and as, I, as I've encountered many different people and, and stories and heartbreak um, my journey of asking why has led me to um, justice issues and, and issues that are more systemic than, um, than I first realized hmm. and, and I see I mean you said something about the uh, involvement that you've been able to to work in this relational uh, piece uh, in the church, uh, and how has the church, those church environments that you've worked in, shaped your thoughts at this point, and, and in terms of your, uh, and I'm gonna go straight to the advocacy part. Sure. Okay. So your question is, how has my work from within the church, as being someone on staff? impacted my understanding of can you rephrase it one more time yeah sure i mean at this juncture in life you're, you're transitioning i would assume more into the advocacy side um yeah it, it, since you discovered the why and you started asking the why yes. question so how has the church impacted that part of your life at this point um, I mean, either way, negatively, or has it opened your eyes to certain things, or has it been a positive influence? And, it, and if so, how? Okay. Um, well, I can point to um, my experience, and I've grown up um, in within the church in several different denominations, but if you were to kind of put it all under one umbrella, it would be more conservative, evangelical, um, grew up in it super charismatic church and, you know, on a little hillside in California and then um, have been mostly involved in more like pseudo Baptist churches um, or they take on non-denominational. But when you look at where the lead teachers went to seminary, et cetera, there's a strong Baptist influence. Um, so those churches have always been supportive. Like, yeah, April, go, you know, go start that partnership in Haiti and, and let's see how we can come alongside these girls um, in our own backyard in Tampa when I was uh, here, her being trafficked, and let's see how we can help. So there's always been this common understanding that as Christians, we help those who are in need. Um, but I would say last June 2016, 
I went to a justice conference up in Chicago, and that was a pretty catalytic moment for me, pretty defining, um, because I got to uh, listen to the mother of Jordan Davis. Um, He was a young 17-year-old, I think, uh, black man who, well, boy, who was um, gunned down in a gas station in Jacksonville, Florida. So we watched a documentary, Three and a Half Minutes, um, right. that followed his family um, and their, their journey through the justice system and, um, and the biases that were stacked against them and, and all kinds of things. And then Jordan Davis's mother, I think Lucy is her name, she came out and sat on a panel and she was talking um, about how this, the culture we live in and we contribute to or we choose to ignore um, all of these cultural factors contribute, um, contributed to the death of her son. And she used this word complicit that I had never heard in that context before. Um, and she just basically said, um, y'all need to get engaged on this side. You're going to have to answer before God. And, um, and it really just, um, it really shook the core of me. Um, I was just sort of crying silent tears. And I felt like I was in the deep end of a pool, just treading water and, um, and what I heard from God in that moment was stay, stay, like stay exactly where you are, stay in this feeling of being overwhelmed, stay right here where you feel powerless. Don't go and start a nonprofit. Don't go in, you know, don't go back to church and say, okay, now we're going to jump on, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, like you just need to stay and be overwhelmed and, um, and stick with me here in this place. Um, and so that was June, 2016. And, and, from that point, um, I began to kind of branch out in my research and my journey and my exploring, um, people I followed, books I read, all of this, and sort of uh, not made a detour, but just a change of tra- trajectory really from um, my, my focus had been at least in official capacity at church. Um, how, how are we helping um, uh, feed and do backpack drives and get donations for turkeys. And so there's this feeding component of people who are hungry or in need. Um, there's this donation component, which um, all the churches I've been involved in are very strong. You know, they understand they do this. They're very generous. Uh, but for me personally, that, um, that June 2016 conference and hearing Jordan Davis's story was um, it was like a major change for me. Okay, well, now let's start looking at, um, at the why, kind of, the, yeah, the why. I don't know how else to say that. Um, right. And, and I began to wonder, um, from a theological standpoint, um, how, did we get, how did we get here? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how did we get to a point where... Um, where at least in the cultures I grew up in, um, it was understood that Christians give and are generous, um, that we're kind, but this other, this other end of the pool that I was treading water in, so to speak, um, I, didn't, I didn't see a lot of chatter. I didn't have anything to draw from. Um, with all the teaching I had been exposed to and all of my well-intentioned mentors, I didn't have any frame of reference to draw from that said, hey, our, uh, our history as an American church is, um, is, 
is not really much to be proud of. We, we haven't been advancing the cause of civil rights. We haven't been um, advocating for systemic changes. We pretty much shied away from the public square um, with this idea that we, we should be neutral on issues, but in being neutral, we've been quiet, and in being quiet, we haven't, we haven't trained our, our congregants in how to, um, to engage critically, to look at how public policy affects people. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there, that was definitely uh, uh, something difficult to, to journal, uh, to wrestle through. Well, the journey in the church um, uh, can't can't. I guess you can look at look at it as being an intentional one, uh, in terms of those things you were saying that uh, the reaction from the church and the historical framework uh, of the church involvement uh, within those justice, particular justice issues. Uh, now, nowadays, even looking at churches who are trying to transition into addressing those issues uh, or finding that it's, it's, it's the word wrestling match that they ever been involved in, uh, especially from the framework of, a, of the past of the church, the leader of the church. Uh, so in that context, since you've been in that environment um, a great majority of your life, how, how, how has this affected you in terms of looking at people and, and walking beside them and not so much looking to help them, but to understand them. Um, so I think um, I, what I've had to do is I've just had to own, really come into, uh, I'm going to, if this is what God's calling me to, if this is what he's opening mind, my, my own eyes to, if this is a new lens and this whole paradigm shift I'm going through, I think my, my biggest commitment um, has been how, how am I going to own this April? How am I going to, um, to, to incorporate this in my own life personally? Because, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I shouldn't ask anyone else to lead me, to, <laughs> to follow me yeah. somewhere I haven't gone myself, right? Um, I shouldn't right. have an expectation that, um, that leaders in whatever church I'm attending um, would uh, would would be further down the road if this is something God's bringing to my attention, and I, and part of that self preservation, honestly, honestly it is because if I if I don't um, if I don't start with self examination and and how do I stand before the Lord with what I know and then what am I going to do about it? Like, am I following through? If I don't start with myself and I'm only pointing fingers at you know, why didn't anybody tell me this? <laughs> why, have, right. you know, why have I, why have my traditions I've grown up in only pointed to two justice issues, or really two issues only, and this is what determines how we vote. This is what we, you know, basically traditional marriage and abortion. Those are the things I've only ever been taught um, mm. that this is what we care about as Christians when we think about the public square. And, and, and I'm looking at scripture and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. Like you look through Leviticus and there's, and Proverbs, there's all these commandments, just on simple things like do not move the widow's boundary line and how God condemns people who change boundary lines. And so now I'm thinking about indigenous people and I'm thinking about um, 
well, we didn't just steal their land. We kept, even if we gave them a lot or whatever, once we found resources, we would change the boundary lines again. And scripture speaks to this, that he cares about this. That's a justice issue. But these are things I'm discovering pretty much on my own. And I'm, I'm committed to examining my heart and my worldview first before I leverage any expectations on, on anybody else at this point. And that's just, like I said, self-preservation, like to not go crazy yeah. kind of basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, as, as you take this journey and, and you spoke to the, the fact that you're uh, uh, delving into some readings, uh, some, some writings and materials of folks, but are you assimilating um, with, with others of, uh, that, other people of culture, culture, or other classes, or uh, people who you really need to, uh, as, as I always tell people, we need to, to sit down and listen to people in order to understand yeah. uh, where they are and, and where they're going through. Because I don't, I don't think any one of us has walked completely in everybody's shoes, or even absolutely you know, we have a hard time walking our own shoes. To be frank about it. Uh, so how, how are you focusing absolutely. in on it? Yeah, so for me, it's a two-pronged approach. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's, on, it's online, <laughs> um, okay. and it's in real life. It's both, or it's maybe three-pronged. Anyway, it's online, it's, it's with books. So it's people that um, I'm maybe having, like, distant conversations. And, like, honestly, through Twitter, Twitter's been a game-changer for me, finding people who, are, um, who identify as Christians, um, and who, who deeply care about justice issues and who, who are willing to get into the mess of how does this play out practically. Because I think any Christian would say, of course I'm for justice. In the abstract atmosphere of, you know, uh, do we give that a thumbs up? But then when it trickles down to how does this play out um, in public policy? How does this play out on a local level? How does it play out on a national level? Um, that's where it gets real messy, right? And um, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm following some people I really respect who've been doing this for way longer than I have, and who um, who are kind of like mentors ahead of the game. I've never met them before, so in my in my real world life, <laughs> um, yeah. I've just been seeking out. Um, I've been investing more in friendships with um, with friends of color, and I and I've had them, but I. But it's like before June 2016, we had had maybe a few conversations about issues of race and the church and um, maybe one or two. And, and after my sort of, you know, I'm, I'm going to like break your heart and smash it to a thousand pieces that mm-hmm. faith the Lord experience, um, I, I shifted into like a deep curiosity. And so with my friends in real life, I, you know, <laughs> would would seek them out and um and would take the risk of um saying the wrong thing or maybe my motives being misunderstood um and i found that um that there was this really great friendship i had a a a roommate in college um and we hadn't seen each other we lived together in college back in i don't know maybe 2002 um and now that i'm back in tampa she's in orlando she came over one night and we stayed up till midnight. We had never discussed like, what was it like growing up with your parents or immigrants? What was it? How has it been like? Growing? We, we never touched on these issues. So we're right. talking through some of these things and 
I think for, I'll just be frank, for a white person, you have to do both. Um, I think that you have to be engaged in, like, some of the bigger conversations that are happening um, with justice leaders. Um, follow Lisa Sharon Harper. Follow Latasha Morrison with Be the Bridge. Um, Shane Claiborne has really great things to say. Rich Viadosa um, is a pastor up in New York who just preached an amazing sermon on the systemic nature of sin and racism um, this past Sunday. So I have these people I follow, and and I'm learning from them. I'm kind of creeping into the back of the room. I'm listening to their podcast. Truth Table is another podcast. Past the Mic is another podcast. So I'm listening into the conversation, and God is challenging me and shifting things in the way, you know, in my heart. Um, I'm questioning things. And then in my real-life friendships, you know, like our, our entire conversations are not about race because that would just be awkward. And I don't – like there right. are other things. We're talking about our kids, and we're talking about mm-hmm. our husband's jobs. And so we're sharing life together, but, um, but we are unpacking some of these things. And I've also learned in the – I've also learned like not everybody thinks the same thing and to give and to not make assumptions. So um, I don't know. So I, it's a two pronged approach for sure. And um, I think that, that you're, what you're studying, what you're the books you're reading, the podcasts you're listening to, um, they have to be complemented with, with, with real life in person conversations. Um, and then I think those conversations are best served if you're engaged in, in, uh, in some of these online, uh, I don't know if that makes sense, conversations as well. Yeah, but how, how are you dealing with, um, how do, I mean, I, I could probably talk a little, a little while about this, but, you know, even, even with that approach, is it even touching on the institutional aspect of it? Or are you just dealing on the um, interpersonal so my my um, friends in real life, I don't know how else to say it. Um, they're uh, so I made I know them from church, and the church I attend is um, is probably like a typical conservative evangelical church. So we're not really we're not diving into institutional systemic injustice stuff, um, but because I'm committed to. <laughs> What's happening on a local level and how can I get involved? I joined my local chapter of the NAACP. And so as we're having, and I'm on the education committee because I used to teach and I care about reform. Um, So with those friendships that are just barely starting, we are having conversations about about really practical um, things that uh, definitely touch on the systemic nature of, of racism and inequality and everything. So I basically was like, um, I'm going to go find where the conversation's happening and, uh, and literally, not metaphorically, slip into the back of the room, but like literally sit myself in the back of the room, listen, and, um, and sign up if, if they need help. So. Well, okay, so you're, you're not saying that you totally, I'm not, I hope you're not saying it, that you totally abandoned the church aspect and, and instituting change or conversation there. But uh, you're no. moving more to yeah okay. So how how are you? No, not at all. Are you are you finding that conversation is able to take place within the church where you are now? Um, 
So the, the difference between April and Virginia Beach and April and Tampa is April and Virginia Beach was part of the conversations. I had a really okay. um, strong relationship with our teaching pastor and executive pastor was my supervisor. So we got to move some we got to move some really cool things forward. We were we were part of a diversity lunch and I wrote the questions and we um, now they've launched this partnership and friendship with Bishop Macbeth. So I had proximity to um, to the conversation and that was um, it was fruitful and things were moving. Um, in Tampa, I'm not even though I'm married to a pastor, I'm not on staff, so I'm not privy to um, to what conversations are being had. Um, and my husband and I are talking through things. He's over groups and discipleship, um, so we're talking through things, and he's committed to um, to sort of reconciling um, sort of the should be where 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 should could the church be and where we are right now. So we're having creative conversations, but my access and proximity is very, very different than it used to be. So um, my joining the NAACP and um, working with refugees um, here is more like about my personal commitment. I don't represent um, I don't represent the church the way I used to. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and that brings it to your statement. You know, the, the one I picked out of one of the conversations that uh, we had. Uh, in, that you're hoping more and more white churches become uncomfortable places for prejudice and deep-seated racism. It should be an inhospitable yeah. environment for these things. How? How? how yeah. is, I understand how April was trying to affect it in Virginia Beach, but how is April trying to affect that within their hood down in Tampa? Yes. Um, April is trying to figure out... <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure that out. Um, yeah, I don't have a, I don't, I don't have the answer to that. So I, again, um, I would say, um, for anyone who is in, the, is living in this tension of, um, I, the church I grew up in or the church I currently attend, is. Um, predominantly white or race isn't on the radar and these, you know, we're just kind of tucking our head down and um, our discipleship and formation uh, looks like a lot of Bible classes and um, taking care of our families and moral purity. Right. So those are, those are uh, values that are pretty, that are held high. Um, But we're not, we're not wrestling with um, what's happening in the city or what's happening on a national level. Um, I think that that's a that's a pretty big burden to shoulder, and it's um, it's worth praying through and talking through. Um, I know at this church there's a commitment. This is this is a very diverse church. Tony Dungy attends and teaches a class here, and you know he was just tweeting yesterday um, about about some of the things that are playing out um, with NFL and. And the NBA take a knee um, or stand for the anthem, all of that. So he's, re, you know, he's been engaged, and he and his wife have been doing amazing work for foster care. Um, that sounds like a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you on the Little Creek base right now? <laughs> uh, no, no. It's someone 
they're doing a construction project next door, so I guess they were over their lunch uh, okay. break and started back up. So. Got it. Um, so I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged locally here, um, but because I I can, you know, I've got my sphere of influence. I'm doing what I can with that, and and um, I think for every white ally, so to speak. That's definitely something, uh, some soul searching to do. Um, for me, it was very clear what what the Lord spoke back in June, and that's before we knew we were even moving. And um, and and it was stay. It was stay exactly where you are, exactly where you're planted, um, and and find a way to um, to bring these issues and these concerns um, to light with the, all the love and gentleness you can muster. But um, but that was his word to me, and it may be different to other people. Um, but I think that I'm I'm a firm believer that um, our God is creative, and that regardless of um, any person's proximity or access to the lead teacher, right, to the voice and the heart of the church, regardless of how close or far away we are, I believe that God is creative and can um, place us in relationships can open our eyes if we're searching for it can open our eyes to really practical things um, to do and then to bring a few people along with us and and that may be it you know that that might be all we're called to do um, or it may be to to ask if we can lead a class on um, systemic injustice or justice and God's heart in the Bible and how it's revealed to us I got to teach a class um, like that it wrote my own curriculum and everything um, exactly a year ago um, and it was promoted within the church. That's not a privilege that a lot of people have or something they may be interested in, um, but I think that God's creative, and I think the worst thing for, if I could just speak to my white brothers and sisters listening in, I think the worst thing for us to do would be to respond as, as God's opening your eyes and you're learning more and you're diversifying your news feed and you're reading books and you're seeing this sort of like overarching, oh, my goodness, <laughs> Um, this is real, right? Waking up to this is real. This is a real problem. I think the worst thing we could do is is get to a point of paralysis where we feel like there's nothing we can do. Um, I think it's good to be overwhelmed. It's good to learn how to lament and to really sit with something and to not not to run in or rush into whatever project with this new solution we've come up with. So there's for sure a listening and grieving and soul-searching period. But, um, but it's almost like what Scripture says when we grieve, right? <laughs> we yeah. grieve, but not without hope. Like we have a hope, not just for our bodily resurrection, but we have a hope for the resurrection of the church, so to speak. And so I would just, yeah, my word would just be like, know that our God is creative. And regardless of access to influence, so to speak, or can you launch a new partnership, or can you teach it, like, all of that off the table, God is creative and will make a way for us to continue learning and to partner in really practical ways. Wow. That, that's, I don't know if I answered your question. I don't yeah, know. It's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's encouraging. I mean, it's, it's really encouraging. But it made me think about something we were talking about before we came on the air uh, in, in terms of sitting in a group, uh, like a home group, and 
and dealing with the tension there when the folks really don't want to have these discussions for whatever reason yeah. uh, and deciding deciding where you need to stay there or, or as you said, is there hope for change and uh, maybe God is trying to show me something within this group, you know, uh, that I need to learn about. Uh, right. But I think a lot of us get trapped in those situations um, and and we started and we stayed, I think we stayed too long in certain places, not knowing what to leave. And we, we started looking at it more being a self-survival kind of thing, an acceptance, yep. so to speak. Uh, but how, how do you march out of that? How have you marched out of those things or have you just stayed there and endured? Well, I've, I've been surprised, um, like, pleasantly baffled um, by uh, by some of the people who have told me who I you know I've shared a community group with in the past who have told me later um, you know pulled me aside and said hey I just want to thank you for your influence on this and this and this and it's helped me see things differently because I feel like we didn't spend a lot of time on um, on it, on April's justice issues right because and most, most times I was leading the group, and so you, you know, you just, you're there to serve. You're not there to push your agenda. Um, so I've been really surprised, and so I would encourage people who are feeling that tension to not discount the influence that they may be having. Um, yeah, that said, if, um, if there are, you know, if you're on a merry-go-round and, um, and it's seems like no one is seeking to understand the other person, um, then it may be time to get off the merry-go-round. So there's, there's sometimes when, when I come up, like I know, I know what my safe topics are, what my not safe topics are when I'm in certain settings. Everyone knows that. And, and so I'm not, you know, when I'm with certain people or family members, my goal is not to convert them to my way of thinking. It's to enjoy the relationship that I have with them, um, and, and, and I know there will be no change. So I enjoy what the friendship and the relationship is, and I'm not trying to expect that it will be anything um, different, like a safe place for us to exchange ideas. And um, so you kind of come to terms with that. But if there's, a, if there's a community, right, like so community groups should be places where we can discuss the Bible and we can exchange ideas and interpretations. We can encourage each other and support each other should absolutely have a rock bed foundation of respect. And, and so there would be some self-examination again. Am, am I being a good listener? Am I really seeking to understand or am I only being persuasive? Um, and am I acknowledging what fear they may have or what anger they may have or what incident they went through that leads them to the place they are right now? So if, if, if we are not doing that, um, that's, a, that's something to, to examine and to to possibly repent from and ask God to help us and change us. Um, but if it seems like it's just a back and forth, like today I was in a, I got into a little Twitter feud kind of thing. There were two other people. <laughs> I jumped off, yeah. I jumped off of it and I messaged one of the girls. She's like president of some atheist club. I was like, Hey, I'd be happy to discuss this with you over here, but it, it's just getting crazy over there. Y'all are, it's like a shouting match. And you know what? She didn't respond. She enjoyed the shouting match. So I, I got off that merry-go-round. I was like, peace out. You guys aren't trying to listen to each other. You're not trying to seek to understand the other. You're only raising your voices 
incrementally and it's doing nobody no good. Like it's, it's not doing anyone good. So, um, so I don't know for whatever that's worth. That's not, I don't know if that's helpful or not. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it was a conversation, um, that I was involved in with, 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 um, several blacks and several whites and, uh, one of the traditional statements that came up from one of the whites is, was basically, uh, why don't you all just get over it kind of thing, uh, and accept it. Wow. And, and so uh, a friend of mine said, uh, following that statement, and they asked this question, would you tell a woman that is being abused by her partner to love that person out of their violence and hatred? Right. And so, so no. The person thought about it and they thought about it and actually that one sentence or question opened up that person's eyes that, oh, you know, I'm looking at this in all the wrong way. Uh, and so started a whole dialogue. I mean, I mean, this group has been together, I don't know, maybe four months. And that was the one point where everything started changing. You know, that's wow. when acceptance started, when the listening started. Because a lot of times in, in these groups, we go into those groups and uh, we go in there want to talk about experiences of the world instead of talking about personal experiences. Uh, because until we do personal, we can't go anywhere else. I mean, it's easy for me to sit down and talk about somebody getting shot in Missouri or New York or wherever. But what what has happened in Charles Cheekline? What what has happened in April's life that that we can talk about, that we can congeal with, and at some point uh, come to see each other in a different light and understand the person? Because I, I truly believe that we can't have understanding uh, until we get to know one another, not know of one another, but know one another. Uh, yeah. Because so often we want to point the finger. Uh, we want to look at and, and I, I applaud people who can work through systems, but I'm not a system person, so I'm not even going to go there. Uh, because when you started looking and examining systems in these in these group settings, you get taken off somewhere where I think you shouldn't be going or you shouldn't go. It takes away from the personalization of, of the conversation. Uh, I think there's a point in time where you can deal with uh, inst- systemic institutional injustices. Uh, after you can can kind of coalesce together in in a more relational setting and understand one another. Now I'm not saying about the controlling issue because um, I I just don't believe we should be even thinking about controlling. But uh, when I do get in these discussion groups and I I kind of tell people uh, that because of your uh, historical dominance as a white person, you're going to try to control it. I mean, you just can't help it. Mm-hmm. It's just in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, that's, that started some interesting conversations. But by the time we we get down the road somewhere, they can they can acknowledge that because it's always about this this thing about I can control it. I need I have to have this uh, control of of the the subject matter. I need to control the topic. I need you can't. I'm not going to let you within my my sphere, because I don't. I want to control my emotions. I don't want you to uh, 
as, as one person told me, said, I don't want you to control how I feel. Uh, mm, someone said that in one of your groups? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, after after saying all that, uh, I, I want to go back to this thing about survival, cause, and I want to look at it in a couple of contexts. Because one of the things I see and I've, I've experienced through this long life of, that I've had, not quite as long as Moses yet, but um, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking that that a lot. Oftentimes, we don't go into these sub this subject matter, especially especially in the church, the institutional church, to try to look at change uh, uh, and, and address issues of race or class or anything along those lines in terms of justice, is because the church is. The church wants to survive wherever it is at this point. Uh, anything that would take them in a different path or direction, even though it's the correct thing to do, it's the correct statement, we, we look at that adjustment period as being how do I survive through this? Uh, can I maintain a lifestyle, one, and without upsetting the apple cart and getting a whole lot of folks upset and leave and, uh, you know, that particular environment. So I, I go back to that one statement I always say to people, unless you know the day you're going to die, you, you don't have time to wait to tomorrow unless God is telling mm-hmm. you to wait for some for some other uh, thing to happen where you can influence something that's going around you in, in that particular moment and period of time. Uh, I know that's saying a whole lot and jumping a, whole, a lot of different places with that, but I think this whole thing with self-preservation and survival kind of gets in our way at times uh, in terms of uh, doing or acting out what needs to be done correctly or said what needs to be be said. Uh, and then we start, yeah. I, I was having a, but I noticed one thing, at, you know, in our early uh, text messages uh, back and forth, by the way, I've got authorized in the finger, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, that uh, we need to to be more intentional about doing what's right. Yeah. And and, and yeah. shaping that, and shaping it, and 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 letting people know that it, this is wrong, where we need to go, because it's just like, and I'm, I'm and I'm going to ask you a question in a minute, but. Um, it's just like going to an NAACP meeting and getting on a committee uh, and you a meeting lasts an hour and a half and you come back for another meeting another month or two weeks or, or that committee. And what has been resolved? What has been solved? It's the same thing with the church. Um, you hear the sermon on Sunday uh, and they're talking about injustices and and uh, how the Bible speaks to how we're supposed to to get up and and be the hands and feet of Jesus and do the right thing and help and guide others along the way. But a lot of stuff in life gets in the way. Yeah, and I can tell you because I I've, I've had close relationships with the two teaching pastors at my previous churches. I can tell you there's a sense of um, you know one of them was like April, you're overwhelming. <laughs> We're like um, 
there's a sense of being overwhelmed, like, do we do everything? How do we choose? I even attended a workshop. So this is a, a workshop literally at the Justice Conference on um, how do you discern where and, and what God is calling your specific congregation to? Like, which issue in the community are you partnering with? Um, or what are you going to draw your attention? And I, I, I don't understand from experience, but from proximity, I can empathize with the sense that that probably a lot of pastors have, and it's we only have so much time on Sunday to preach, or we only have so much in our budget to launch new partnerships or to commit to a couple different missionaries, you know, internationally. And so how do we choose and how do we lead our people? So that is a conversation, but I think that's the second conversation. I think the first conversation that really, really um, weighs on me is um is it i don't know it's a whole can of worms first i'm going to stop myself real quick and just i think you're about to ask a question <laughs> were you about to ask a question or am i speaking to what you were getting at you're actually speaking to what i was getting at okay so i empathize with that feeling um I, and i haven't had to shoulder the leadership of a church or determine what to preach on every sunday but but what, um, what weighs on me and what I've spent a good time wrestling with in Scripture is, is our worldview. Um, it's almost like what are we calling Christians to? Um, I would not place the expectation on a young mom of three kids that if she's not going to the meetings I'm going to or she's not serving with a, you know, organization in Tampa that's, helping women get out of trafficking or she's not, you know, down at city council meetings, but she's not a true Christian or following the Lord, right? We would never say that, but, but because we choose to participate in churches and identify with a particular expression of the local church, right? We attend church. I'm I'm assuming this of most of the audience. Um, I feel like there should be a corporate identification that we are as a church, we are engaged in the city. And I, I think a lot of churches do this. They have partnerships. Um, they really do. Um, what I would love to see is for there to be a, for there to be a willingness to, to look at the, the why. And I don't know exactly how that happens, but the why are, why are girls of color like significantly more susceptible to being trafficked. Um, why are, so we care about people who are hungry. Why are 46% of black children under six living in poverty where 14% of white children under six live in poverty in the United States? Like if we can peel back the layers and ask why, then we can own some of this and it's really difficult to because then it begins to implicate it begins to implicate us. It, when, when you start talking about not just individual choice, right, like April, if I, had, if I had just stayed at that table at the Justice Conference listening to Lucy just cry and talk about how there's this system, there are these spiritual principalities, there are these strongholds at play, and if we don't choose to engage in some little way, we're complicit. As, if I had just stuck with my individualized understanding of Christianity, all I would have felt was defensive. All I would have felt was, 
Lucy, what are you talking about? I wasn't in Jacksonville. If I had been at that gas station, of course I would have said something. I wasn't one of the members on the jury. I wasn't the judge. I wasn't the police who ordered the drug test of his friends, but not of the man who shot your son. Like, we, we are so wrapped up in this individual, but I didn't do this. But my parents weren't slaveholders, but we didn't blah, 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 that, that there's a, um, a stiffness like we can't bend we'll just snap we'll just break there's a stiffness in these strong defensive mechanisms instead of the freeing truth there is that we can step into and i think the church has the the opportunity to step into there's this freedom in saying you know what like like god has called us to repentance corporately so so we identify as a church body and we identify as the Christians in America, there's this corporate identity we have, and, and we need to own it, and we need to, to be part of it, and, and we need to be okay in it. And, and when we're okay in it, we can say, I'm, I'm okay because God loves me, because I'm a sinner, but God still loves me. There's this unconditional love that I have from the Lord. When, when I rest in that, then I can step into true repentance. Then I can step into true examination and say, how have I been oblivious to this? up until this point? How have I um, not felt um, a, a certain sense of obligation to care for my brother? How have I been like Cain, you know? Like, am I my brother's right. keeper? How, right. have I, how have I done that with my life, with my purchasing choices, with, um, with the way I leverage my vote, with um, my paying attention to what's happening in the news or not, my... Um, we will be unable to ask those questions um, if if we are if we don't get to a, a deeper level of um, God does have an expectation of local bodies that gather together. He does look at the American church as a whole. There is a corporate identity that we carry, and so what are we going to do about our little piece of it? Well. We've got about 10 minutes left. I want to look at something uh, quickly here. It's something you said, staying in your place. Uh, God is keeping you in or putting you in a place or had you in a place. Um, are you still working your way out of that place? And where do you see April in the next year or so? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I am. Um... I honestly am taking this fall to figure out um, what April's going to be when she grows up. And um, part of my journey is um, looking at law school um, and also looking at an online seminary program. So those are two distinct different career paths, um, and I'm trying to figure out what that is or if there's something else out there. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. It's going to be at the intersection of – probably church and probably justice and advocacy, but I don't know how it plays out. And, you know, if you have any wisdom, let me know, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, so, I mean, with the whole thing with, I mean, you mentioned the law, I mean, what's your frame of reference in terms of that, the the, the justice part or, or, I mean, you might get more frustrated if you go that route. I'm not going to say you will, but I know some good lawyers too. So. (laughs) I, um, you know, I as far as law goes, oh, 
Yeah, prob- like immigration reform or criminal justice reform. I'd love to abolish the death penalty in Florida. I'd love to get stand your ground struck down forever in Florida. Um, there are, yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of things happening here. Um, I am, <laughs> I'm doing my history, my my work, and digging around and um, just realizing how deeply embedded racism and racist structures are here. Um, so yeah, coming up and naming that principality and seeing how it um, raises its head in uh, everyday life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention to that, and I don't, I don't know how to – I don't know what it will look like for me to engage long-term, but for now I'm just trying to take my baby yeah. steps. Yeah. Besides the Twitter feed, have you started any uh, circles within your friends or, or extended your, your ship um, out into others? Yeah. And- well, how's um, it going? Yeah, we, it's, it's so slow. It is slow going. It's slow going. So I probably have like five or six friends who um, wanted to do a book club, the new Jim Crow, look at mass incarceration. We've had some scheduling conflicts. Um, and then I've got another friend who is starting a network um, for, um, yeah, for women in Tampa uh, who want to be engaged with justice issues and um, women who want to contribute um, their time and talent and resources and um, and then women who are on the receiving end who could benefit from an entrepreneur's workshop or benefit from a how to start a nonprofit workshop. So um, I can't really speak more to that because it's not my baby, but I'm, um, I'm showing up to the meetings and the conversations and, um, trying to figure out how I can contribute to that. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had uh, a, we call a peace circle or reconciliation. Um, it's probably one of the better activities that I've participated in conversation on race and reconciliation because it was more personal with the folks. It was not based on what you read or what you saw, but it was based right. on actual experiences. So people were able to understand and appreciate one another uh, uh, on a more personal level. Uh, and, it's, and you can see how it started drawing folks who didn't know each other closer together. So the intentionality was, in fact, I had two white pastors there and uh, two white females, two black males, two black females, et cetera, two by two, like going in the ark kind of thing. So, um, uh-huh. uh so we all uh, were having these revealing conversations about one another and, and our personal experiences. And some had not, yeah. you know, and uh, the, 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 the basis of it is, is that you have to listen and you can't sit there and listen to somebody and formulate a response. It can only be about yourself. And, it, and right. uh, because a lot of times we do listen to people only to respond with something that's so generic that it really doesn't fit the uh, conversation at the time. Uh, but what we'll do is, uh, in fact, we're going to have a training on this and on December the 2nd, uh, because it's being, uh, it was a result of the, actually the vice chair of the board of directors of Christian community development association. And since it worked well here, you're going to take this thing nationally. So, um, we'll certainly include you guys down there in the dialogue. Um, and, and what happens with it and possibly pass, pass along 
the procedures and what happens with it and the results and and it'll give me a good reason to come to Tampa to show you guys. So uh, <laughs> we'll look we'll we'll look at we'll look at those things with you uh, as you journey through what you're going right. through. At the at the same time, um, you know what one of the things uh, I want to push out there is something that an old lady told me a long time ago when I was a young guy, uh, and she said, "Always make sure you listen." And stay in a place to listen and learn from people. But at the same time, don't listen so much that you start taking on their dream and you lose it, you lose yours. That's um, good. Yeah, and I, I thought a lot of that com- comes back every once in a while and slaps me in the face. And uh, Because sometimes you get sucked into things. Uh, and it's not intentional, but you, you just keep on getting sucked in like with that Twitter feed thing. And fortunately you broke out of it because, uh, because sometimes you just can't contribute everything to everybody or something to everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yep. I just want to apl- applaud you in your journey. Uh, always enjoy Thank talking you. with you. Thanks uh, for being part of it. Yeah. Anything that we can do, um, uh, just feel free to call upon us and we're always going to be here for you because it wasn't for you. Also life would, would not be in that certain place over in Virginia Beach. Um, and just to let you know, it's thriving and doing well. Uh, I, awesome. I think Angela is listening to this program today, and Angela Yay. is doing a great job. And so she's taking up the mantle for April, and she often says to me or asks the question, what would April do? And I, oh, and I have to answer that question. <laughs> 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 so I, I just jump in there oh. and answer that question. This is what April would do, you know. Thank you again. Thank you for taking Thanks, the time Kyle. out today and being here with us. Uh, a year from now, we're going to revisit April, and we're going to see where April is. Uh, and All right. if she hasn't written that book and it's on sale in, on the New York Times bestselling list, and then we'll know what to do with April at that point. So uh, thank you. Right. Have a good day. Right. My best to everybody. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye. Thank you for listening in for another episode of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Uh, we hope that you will be more intentional about addressing the issues and the things that are in our lives that cause uncomfort for not only ourselves but for others. And be very intentional about going out, making a friend, listening some, to someone, understanding them, and then loving on them. God bless you and have a great day. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.